Welcome to another episode of Metal Mastermind. Your host and co-host, I guess I'm both, right? Jason Stallworth and also host and co-host. Ken Candelis. What's up, dude? <laughs> and we have a special guest again today. Elizabeth Deus. Hey. Yes. Can you hear the claps? We do snaps <laughs> instead of claps, right? There we go. <laughs> get away from y'all. Can't get away fantastic. from us. That'd be a good 80s ballad. Can't get away from y'all. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, so, guys, today we got some very cool discussions coming up. Uh, we're going to talk about, from a vocal perspective and just performing in general, live versus in the studio, right? Because there's two different things. I mean, those are almost two completely separate talents and things you have to work on. And then we will wrap it up going over some of our favorite musicians, vocalists, guitarists, drummers, because you guys know Ken is an awesome metal drummer back there. So we're going to talk about that towards the end and, you know, what makes them great. So, Ellie, uh, you know, we'll just start it out with you. Um, mm -hmm. Just a quick rundown. Like, what are your what are some of the core differences between singing live with a band or solo act versus being in the studio? Uh, the first thing that comes to mind, I would say, is the adrenaline that you get on stage. Um, you just get like so much from the crowd and from your bandmates around you. Um, so that energy, I feel like, plays a huge part in your performance overall. Um, and then trying to bring that same energy into the studio. Um, and especially as a vocalist, you're kind of like confined in this little vocal booth, right? So sometimes it can be like a little difficult to do that and you have to kind of figure out tips and tricks and just kind of like, um, I don't know, mental tricks to kind of get yourself into that element. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, I get the adrenaline because I, you guys know I sing live acoustic uh, solo shows, which is a little bit different from being in a full band. There, There is a different energy with a full band when people are there to see you versus being a solo act where a lot of times places I play, I'm, I'm kind of background music, but still there's that adrenaline rush getting ready for the show, you know, mm -hmm. setting up, performing and, and talking to people, you know, that sort of thing. That's cool. And that's something that's really hard to replicate, like you said in the studio and that has a lot to do with your, your performance too right so i mean it would probably benefit you to try to get into that mindset hey i'm playing live when you're in the studio so you can deliver that same type of performance you, i mean what are some of the things you do for that um like when i'm playing live yeah um well i feel like there's like i guess different challenges um when you're trying to play live and then when you're in the studio um, I feel like maybe they're polar opposite, um, you know, challenges. Um, and some people feel very natural in one setting versus another, or they feel very comfortable in both. You know, everybody's like different, um, especially when you're a beginner and you're still trying to like figure out your stage persona. Um, and maybe the studio is a little bit more comfortable. It's a little more intimate. It kind of reminds you more of like practicing in your bedroom, that kind of thing, that privacy so everyone really is like different. Um, for me, like growing up, kind of like um, being on stage quite often, um, I found myself like, you know, really trying to reach to um, get comfortable, like in the studio. Um, and in my early 20s, like I just remember like trying to like figure it out and taking a few like takes in the vocal booth until like I really kind of got that emotion across in my voice. And now I feel like I kind of got it down to like a good 
science that works for me. Um, and, uh, it's something that I share with other people too, just like tips and tricks to feel more comfortable in the vocal booth. Um, and I have a few of those for the stage as well, but, um, yeah, they're both very different, um, atmospheres. Yeah. I, I kind of feel like older records were more like recording live performances in the studio. Uh, yeah, because everyone was playing at the same time. It wasn't like isolated really right and there was like a technological difference too it's like if you're gonna record to tape you know you kind of have to just get it right <laughs> yeah. so i feel yeah. like with the amount of limited you know oh chances of doing overdubs and stuff like that i mean like you were able to do overdubs but it's like you had to be really really careful about overdubs and made sure that they were in sync with the previous performances because it's like you can't just like splice a little bit of tape you know you have to splice the whole thing so totally i feel like we're a lot more comfortable because of the technology that we have today it's so easy to take another take and you're not wasting physical material by doing so um right. but still you want to come to the studio just as prepared as if you only had one take to get it right um because right. there's just so much more that you need to to add um that if you just don't know your your parts too well like the melody or the lyrics if you don't really have that like ingrained in your brain you won't have the the opportunity to add that extra element that you need to make it sound like a fantastic take that's gold right there because you're talking about something that is sort of this magical element to a performance which captivates an audience, right? But that can only ever be achieved if you are absolutely prepared to deliver. So I, I yeah, that's a that's a fantastic point. And I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, and so this, uh, this uh, excuse is freestyle stuff, by the way, because that's, a, that's yeah. a whole different vibe, but yeah, you know <laughs> what I'm saying. <laughs> we're say what we're saying, guys, is don't write your song in the studio. If you're going into the studio to record, be prepared. Don't like get there and say, oh, Man, I, I I forgot the lyrics, or oh, we haven't figured out this guitar part quite yet. Know all that stuff before you start, it's, especially if you're paying, right? If you're going into a professional studio and you're paying for that, when you're home, it's a little different. But to your point, Ellie and both uh, Ken, you know, you want to know the material before you start recording in your home because you can get into this circle to where you just you never finish anything. You're like, well. Uh, I don't quite know this yet. It could be better. And you just change it and it could be better. You change it. And then five years goes by still no single, no album, no nothing. So I think you have to be careful with the luxury that we have because it's not expensive. Everybody's got an interface connected to their computer with monitors and you can just keep recording and, and tracking as much as you possibly want, but you can run real fast, but not go anywhere. Right. So I yeah. think it is important to nail your song down like this is the song, then go in there and, you know, do your best to nail the, the performance as well. Well, to be very clear about something, I think it's important to distinct about going to the studio and going to record your album versus being, let's say, at your home studio and composing your album. Right. Because right. those are because those are two different types of like phases. Right. We're, we're talking about, okay, like you can absolutely be home and, you know, compose on your record. I think we all do that. But when you're like, okay, now it's time to achieve like the quality sound that I've been looking for, for this album. Like I know what the songs are at this point, they're all written out. 
now it's time to take it to the next level. Like, for example, like right now, like you, I have my drums back here, but I don't have any, um, I don't have any microphones to record them the way I want to just yet. So I have to still go to another studio to even execute that, but I can still absolutely write, you know, and I would rehearse and I would get myself ready and then take that next step. And that's that step that we're talking about that we want to say, okay, how do you take this live performance aspect of being in the moment, being a captivating performer, all that juju, and putting that into your music and recording that and capturing that for, you know, the final take. Um, that makes I think, perfect sense. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> only, only thing to add to this one more thing is just like, I think it's just important to have a little bit of live experience uh, so that you are, you know, playing at your, your peak. Yeah. I actually wrote like a couple notes on just some tricks to bring into the studio as a vocalist. I don't know if you guys want to hear that. Absolutely. Um, I'll make it it, free. Okay, cool. Um, So yeah, just um, going into the studio and um, laying down some vocal tracks, um, just like a a couple tips to kind of bring with you so that you know, you feel prepared. Um, The first one, like, I guess some of them feel a little bit obvious, but I'll explain a little bit more why they're important. But the first one is memorizing your lyrics, um, but still have those lyrics printed out. So if you don't know your lyrics too well, um, you are using brain capacity by reading lyrics and they, they won't come off. Like there's always something that needs to kind of compensate. So if you're too busy, like reading lyrics, then that emotion won't be there or those little extra details that you want to add. Um, vocal technique can often go out the door when you're too focused on reading lyrics. Um, so that's really important. Memorize your lyrics, but also have them printed out. Um, and having two copies is great, especially if you have a vocal producer or other bandmates in there with you. Like, just have somebody outside of the uh, vocal booth um, following along with you, so they they know like where you're at in the song. And it's so much easier to kind of navigate. Like, hey, let's take it from the top of this verse. It's right there, and it's all labeled nicely. It just makes like the workflow go more efficiently. Um, my other tip would be for your copy of the lyrics, um, I would suggest um, making little symbols and marks to um, for, for you so you know what kind of vocal technique and vocal registers you want to use in certain parts. So, for example, if there's like a, a line where I'm like, I want to sing this softly, I know that underlining that for me means sing this softly. So everything that's underlined in my lyrics I know to sing that softly or I'm growling this part or I can write pronunciations, you know, remember to sing this vowel long. So I'll spell it out um, like phonetically how I want to pronounce it when I sing it. So that's why those lyrics are important to uh, mark up your page and write those notes for you as a guide in the studio booth. Um, And then my last tip uh, would be to bring that element of performance into a small confined space like a vocal booth. So um, figure out what it is that you need to do. Take a minute to meditate, like, you know, make sure that you eat well in the morning, eat a nice breakfast um, and drink plenty of water, bring some hot tea with you, do anything that's like meditative that will get you into that element so that you can feel very comfortable in the vocal booth. So those are my, my, my three tips there. Yeah, those are very good because they help to at least kind of 
uh, clarify, like I can almost see myself be in the studio right there and then as a vocalist, just getting ready to do this performance. And that's a great tip. Uh, and it yeah. feels very, very well structured to me too, uh, to kind of think of it in this way. It's almost like, did I, did I check this off? Am I ready for today's performance? kind of way uh because it's easily you know being in the studio the day of can be very very uh anxiety inducing oh yeah and it's totally so, nerve-wracking when so you're just like oh my god relax a little beforehand you don't want to rush you know or like yeah. get there late or something <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you mentioned like meditation too because meditating can be a very good way to just kind of take a step to you know step back and just breathe for a second because everything's going to be okay you know Oh yeah, I had an audio engineer that told me to run around the block two times and then get back in because I just I needed that energy. So you know anything <laughs> that you can do to get into that element is helpful. That's cool. <laughs> I like oh, that. I love that. That's great. Yeah, I mean that's that's really. I, I love the fact you said yes. Memorize your lyrics. That's important because you can focus on the performance and your your brain's not focused on crap. What's that next line? But you also said bring the lyrics with you and make the notes and all that. That's kind of like uh, your security blankie, if you want to call it that, right? When you're in the studio. Yeah, and then you know just like there, for yeah. you to mark up the page, just like, you right. know, whatever you need in there. <laughs> that's, yeah. yeah, that's gold. Perfect. And this is uh, also very interesting, too, because now I'm thinking about it, you know, in the, in the sense of a live performance, too, right? If we're going to go and do live, one thing that I've noticed is uh, a lot of bands, and I, I think mostly because it's easier to do it this way, but uh, most bands, they... When they rehearse a bit of music for a while, and then when they're when it's new music, of course, and then they get into uh, a live performance, and they're like, "Okay, let's play for the audience and see how they feel about it." But I also think at the same time, it's a it's a way for them to kind of test out how the energy from the whole band as a cohesive whole being on stage with that kind of song, that new song that they just created, feels. And that's a way to pay attention to how that's going to translate into the record as well, because now you've got like this whole big sound system and it's all out there for the audience to hear. Uh, it's just a, a thing that I noticed here. I'm wondering what are kind of some some notes that preparing for a live show, how would they be sort of, uh, you know, similar and a little different? to let's say what you were doing in the studio because you mentioned a couple really good things that i think are also translatable to live but i think in some different capacity with the performance it's not so much bringing lyrics with you and marking up a page you don't really have anything in your hands you don't want to be like staring at a set list on the floor that you wrote a small note on you don't want to read lyrics off your hand I did right. that once when I was like 19 and then I got really sweaty on stage because it was hot and um, all of my lyrics got smeared on my hand oh. and I couldn't take <laughs> out the words. So let's bring the same tip over to live performance. Memorize your lyrics. It was a new song at the time. So I just remember being like kind of freaked out that I wouldn't get the, the verse right. Um, oh, I just realized, okay, Zoom is doing weird things for me. Okay, cool. Um, but yeah, like memorizing your lyrics, feeling very comfortable. Um, I would even say like, have that conversation. If it's a new, a new song that you just wrote that week or something, have that like serious conversation with your band. Like, is this song ready for performance? And if it's one of those kind of shows where it's like more like laid back and fun, like, let's just do it. This is a good way to, you know, just kind of try it out. 
then go for it if it's that vibe. But if it's something where you really want everything to be like polished and ready to go for a show, definitely like consider if a song is ready for your live set. Cause you know, there might be some like mistakes or hiccups that you could um, go over in a few rehearsals, right. Um, versus on the stage. Um, so yeah. Memorizing your lyrics. That's yeah. That's one. actually, yeah. That's a huge one that you just mentioned because it almost, and I didn't even think about it this way too, but it's like, Testing your new song live is also a great way to see whether or not it's it's ready to be recorded, too. Yeah, like open mics and stuff. That's like what it's for, you know, use that, utilize that. Um, or just like, you know, maybe more local gigs or smaller gigs or uh, regular venues, uh, those kind of things where you can kind of like um, play a little bit more like those are, you know, good opportunities because even then there's things that you can cover that you can't really do in a rehearsal space. Just having that audience there, that feedback there, um, it really is up to the band, but it's good to just have that conversation when there is a new song that you are performing. Um, and um, I would say also like bringing that energy to the stage. I just, you know, everyone's different with how they perform. Like everyone has a different kind of like stage uh, persona, you know, there's people that are a lot more like active and they really move around and they dance a lot. And it's more like hype music. And there's like more like slow, gloomy, kind of like serious kind of music. So it really depends on that and really understanding the vibe of your sound, um, understanding your audience and like matching that energy. So I guess I could bring that over from the studio tips where taking that moment before your show to meditate and really like lock in to the, you know, just getting all those elements in for your performance. That's great. I, I like to, I like to, you know, clear the head and, and those, those of you who are wondering about meditation, um, really all we're saying is just clear your mind. Don't let yeah. all this stuff come into your head. Sometimes we can think, well, I wonder if they're going to like me. I wonder if it's going to sound good. I hope I don't screw up. You know, I, I wonder if I'm going to sound as good as so-and-so or whatever, all this stuff, you know, we can make up all kind of garbage in our head to tell ourselves and that will build if you allow it to. So, you know, mm -hmm. meditation and clearing your head real quick though, I want yeah. to just revisit, we, you know, we're talking about the studio here, you know, a lot of our listeners, they're probably not going to a professional studio to record. Some of you might, but the majority of you are probably just going to record in your bedroom where your home studio is. And, you know, Ken had mentioned there's a big difference between composing and writing versus because, you know, we're, we're doing things we're we're composing the song versus, OK, now I'm ready to record the song. Uh, and I would venture to say, make sure those two moments are separate. Make sure that when you're in the composing mode and writing mode that you're in that mode, but have some kind of stopping point to where you say, OK, this is ready to go. Now I'm in the recording mode. I'm not composing anymore. And I only say that, guys, because we can we can spin that wheel and just get nowhere really, really fast. So um, now back to the performance part, though, do you have some tips in your home studio, Elizabeth? Like because going into the pro studio, we talked about, you know, getting into that mindset and you would do the same here. But it's a little different in your home studio, though. I mean, what are some challenges there? Oh, I love this question so much because like the transformation that my home studio went through just like in the past decade. I feel like I've I've been in every scenario <laughs> where I've tried to make the space that was in work somehow and sound good. Um, now I am 
fortunate enough to have a really good like isovox vocal booth and and my studio space is treated but that didn't happen overnight that took years of just being like this is what i need this is you know this is good gear this is not good gear this is what i need to make my stuff sound good and being able to afford it saving up so i did get to that point and that took um a long time to get there um and i'm really confident in the vocal tracks that i can do in my home studio but I just get these flashbacks of like when I first started getting into um, producing my own music at home, um, I would go into the closet because all my clothes were in there. I would get my um, SM58 microphone because that's like all, you know, it's a good microphone, but it was the only microphone I had and it was affordable so I can get it. <laughs> um, and I put that in there with my little focus right and I had um, this mattress it was like a cot so it was like a thinner twin size mattress and i just like shoved it in there with me and i was like cool vocal booth you know nice. so get those mattresses in your closet and make a vocal booth if you have nothing just start there because that creativity um really comes in handy when it's time for you to really build a serious space for yourself for yourself because Things can get like uh, expensive too. So if you can get creative, you know, like making your own bass tracks, making your own like, you know, absorption, like all that stuff really does come in handy when it's time for you to build that serious like studio space. Um, but yeah, I hope that answers your question. There's a lot I can say about all of the different types of treatment I've tried throughout the years. I love what you mentioned, you know, guys and everybody listening right now, don't obsess over what you don't have use yeah. what you have right yes yeah that's absolutely important because that's yeah that's many times going to be the limiting factor it's honestly just yourself that's preventing it from moving forward so if you have that just focus of saying this is what i have and having that just a little creativity like elizabeth just mentioned a little bit of creativity just to get it done right yeah and we and have then, the internet figure out what people are doing you know yeah yeah. <laughs> and I think a, a, a same thing as Jason mentioned before of separating the moment of when you're saying, OK, I'm in my writing phase or I'm in my recording phase. You know, th those are actually paramount for putting it into your mind that this is going to be the take that you're going to keep. And you have to commit to saying this is to be the final version of this, uh, because after a certain point, right? It kind of all gets a little bit foggy and, you know, you don't really, you, everything's a blur. You're just like, what's, what is this process? You know, you, you, you meld everything together and it just becomes unclear. And then you just don't know where you kind of stand. So you have to, it takes a little bit of, it's a little bit fearful though. Right. Cause when you say that it's like, oh man, I have to commit to, to saying this is my final take. And it's like, yeah, you do. Because at some point it's got to exit your bedroom and it's got to be out there in the world. Right. So you have to say, where is the moment that you just stop <laughs> and just let it go. Just yeah. Let it go. That's, that's a true. big problem. For a lot I of mean, people. like you can be like, yeah, this is great after the first take, or you can be like, no, I need a hundred more takes and it's okay to have a hundred takes. I would recommend knowing how to organize those takes, like understanding how to use a playlist and not having a hundred tracks open that's a whole other thing. Um, but, you know, 
like I know, for example, like Billie Eilish, like she has a hundred takes of the same like vocal melody and she'll like put a bunch of them together or splice from like all of those takes to make one perfect take. So um, figure out your formula. If you want to do it that way, there's no wrong way to do it. Figure out what works for you and then just stick to that formula, you know? Now, one thing I'll say real quick for you guitar players out there is when you're writing in the writing phase and you're and you're the vocalist as well. um, This is a mistake I made last album. Make sure you can sing and play your songs at the same time if you're going to perform them live. And I say that because a lot of times, uh, you know, because we have this luxury of being in a studio where we can just track our guitars. You may write you may write the rhythms first and get that out there, get that recorded. Then you may go back and write lyrics to that you're singing along with it and i did this on my last album masterpiece and there's there's like two parts and two songs where i'm like crap i'm having a very hard time singing and playing this at the same time so make sure if you plan to go live with this which we encourage you to right uh make sure you can play it and sing it at the same time because you might have to go back to the drawing board on some things when you start doing that and you find that certain parts are just kind of too hard for you to sing and play at the same time great point Great point, because now you're you're thinking about just how your writing affects the live end of this performance, because, uh, we, yeah, we have all this overdubbing technology and we forget that, you know, we actually have to play this at some point for people. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah but don't don't let that hold you back either, because I've seen some incident. I have some um, students that say, OK, I do all these cool effects when I record it, like um I can't perform this live. How do I perform this live? Or if you're, if your recording sounds so different from how it would sound, if it was just you and your guitar, that's okay. Don't let that hold you back. If you could figure out how to get the same sound over to the stage, go for it. If that's what you want. But if you want like a, an exclusive live acoustic version of the same song, that's pretty cool too. Cause some people like want to go out and see like, Oh, let's see what the live performance of the song sounds like. And it's like, you know, it's something special because it's exclusive for the stage. So if you can't get that exact sound, like, don't let that hold you back, like work with it, you know? Nice. I like what you just mentioned. Uh, like the like the next project I work on after I finish the one I'm working on now is is my my uh, goal was to write, you know, a rock and metal album, but also to write the songs in a manner that I can easily have an acoustic version of those. Like some song songs I've written. Uh, it's kind of difficult to do that. So I kind of want to have, and this is just me personally, I'm not saying you should or shouldn't do this, but like I want an album where I've got the album and it's metal, but I've got an acoustic version of every song on that album or most of them at least. So it's just, yeah, that's that's so cool. Yeah. I love that. Like ever see like a, a, like a punk band do like a kind of like a reggae version of their song. I've seen that a few times. I remember like I used to go see misfits and like, they like totally slowed down like back in, like when they would perform BB Kings, um, okay. um, I forgot what it was, but they slowed down a song completely and like did like kind of like the reggae version of it. I've never heard it in my life. And I just remember that moment being so special. Cause I'm just like, this is like exclusive for the audience right yeah. now. So that's super cool. You know, it's a good yeah. mindset. Yeah. A lot of bands do that too. And one of my favorite bands ghost did a stripped down unplugged version of their set as well. But I think mm-hmm. that's like a, that's a, total organic thing that you know i respect for have i have a lot of respect for a lot of bands that do that for a small audience to do like an unplugged version of their acoustic set and if your set is something that's like big and gargantuan with all these types of sounds then you know that takes a little bit more planning to do and 
that can be kind of tricky too, right? Because like if we're talking about the other side of the spectrum, uh, getting in like all your samples, because let's say you're because like me and Elizabeth, we actually create yeah. like some symphonic metal type of music. So getting that to be translatable to the live stage will take a lot more planning. And I think you just have to be a little bit more patient. You have to be a little bit more methodical. You have to acquire certain pieces of gear to make that happen. Yeah, like DAWs uh, and synthesizers. And yeah, it's got to like yeah. get um, creative with that. <laughs> 100%. And, and that, that, that becomes like a, a, an entire technical uh, hurdle that has to be accomplished. Mm -hmm. I have a question regarding that, and, and you guys are the perfect ones to answer this because, you know, America's Symphonic Metal, and Elizabeth, I know you do a lot of that as well. Um, can you get by, you know, we're talking about, okay, here's what's on the CD. Well, now I sound old. The the album, because people don't do CDs. Some people listen to CDs still, um, but here's what's on CDs. the album. <laughs> yeah, I, I do too sometimes. Um, here's what's on the album, but we're going to perform the live version of it. And I always think the live version is going to be a little different. Anyway, you're going to have some nuances and caveats and, and things, but can you pull off symphonic metal? If you have a keyboard player, can that keyboard player, maybe with two or three different keyboards, pull that off without having to play with any tracks or any effects or sound effects that you would have to bring in outside of the band? Is that possible? And would it sound good? <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, I'll, I'll go for it, Ken. Uh, I mean, uh, my my simple answer is it depends on how the song was written with a keyboardist in mind, because uh, if if your intention was that this was going to be played by a keyboardist, those symphonic elements tend to be a little bit more simpler so that mm. a keyboardist can actually do that. Like, for example, Nightwish, they do a lot of this stuff uh, where they'll actually do, you know, kind of segmented orchestral instrumentation where, you know, one section's kind of like highlighting more strings and then maybe two at a time, if if anything, because you'll have two different timbres that you can play with two hands, you know, one's like brass, one's strings, or one's choir, and one's strings, or something like that. And that can be a way that they can imbue the two on a live performance. But bands like, uh, you know, Children of Bodom are more specifically like keyboard-centric uh, type of sounds that emulate symphonic stuff but they're not symphonic like orchestral arrangements per se a band like nightwish is much more orchestral first and then it's symphonic uh keyboards are kind of secondary to that and most of the time the keyboard is playing like an actual piano sound and an accompaniment to the orchestral sounds and side note i know for a fact nightwish does play with playback tracks in order to get those sounds out on stage. Right. And they imbue that with the keyboardist as they're playing. And, you know, they'll do the things that are live that are like, you know, embellishments and stuff like that to flavor it up and all that good stuff. I love Nightwish's favorite band. So, so Ken, uh, do they have like a click track to start the song? Cause obviously you have to be in time yes. with that track. So I guess the drummer has a click track in there or the whole band has it in their in-ears or something like that. Yeah. So yeah, at a, at a band like Nightwish would definitely play with in-ears and sure, you'll have sure. their monitor engineer, uh, be someone separate. And you actually have a playback technician who oh. accompanies the monitors and the front of house purely operates the DAW. And basically it's like, okay, uh, once they receive the signal, they press the play button and that play button triggers the click track that counts them off uh, into the song. That's interesting, man. 
this is again it's one of my favorite bands i've seen them live several times i'm waiting for them to come back to tampa orlando area here soon i hope anyway nice uh, but thanks for that man because I, I was I always wondered about that i know there was there was some uh article or video or whatever i don't remember the name of the band but their laptops went down so they couldn't even play the show and i'm just wondering what bands would do obviously nightwish has probably got a backup for everything i don't think that they would ever have that issue but you're a small band. Let's say you're a small symphonic metal band and, and you know, you've got a show, but all of a sudden, okay, you're backing traps for whatever reason, you have no way to play them. Your laptop goes down, your dog dropped in the water, dog ate it, something like that. What would you do? I, I got a, this is a great question. Uh, because as you know, I know you guys have known, but you know, for other people who haven't heard about my background, I used to work on good morning America, which was That's right. all broadcast. And we always, 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 had a backup to the artist. So what they would do is many times the artists would bring their own laptop, right? And sometimes they would bring two, but we already know computers are very finicky and Pro Tools is even more finicky. <laughs> and that's one, that's most of the, most of the time, the DAW that we're using for a live show. So what we would also do is we would say, okay, that's lovely. We love that you have your own backing track. We want you to give us a bounce and give us a copy so that we have it on our own computer where we're actually recording it. And we're going to have it as a standby play button so that if something goes wrong on your end, we still have a copy that works. So it's, you know, this can be something that you can do very, very simply. There's uh, you know, you have your, let's say you have your fully flushed out version uh, on your DAW that you want to set for your live show. That's great. Now also have a separate device. That's not just a computer, but there are actual, you know, just let's say devices where it's just a playback device. Yeah. You put in a little flash drive, you, you, it has the track, you know, on one end in mono and the other side is a click track. And so you have your left and right, right. And you just send that out to your, to your console as a backup, right? So if, that goes down the main playback track system. You have another set device that just says, okay, no worries. Here's a mono source of just everything that we did. Cause honestly, in live, you can get away with mono because everything has to come out to the speakers in, in a way that the entire audience can hear. So mono is a great solution for that. So you have mono for all your orchestral stuff. And the other side is just your click, which only goes to the band. And then there you go. You're, you're all set to go. You're like, no, even no hiccup at all. Yes. You don't have all the intricacies of, you know, balancing the mix, but would you rather not have a show? <laughs> and you have that backup down to a science where it's just like, Oh, other stuff went down, lift the fader. And it's like, it's smooth. Right. right. Absolutely. No freaking out back here. We got you covered. <laughs> yeah. No, so cause professional. like, love that <laughs> live. Well, live sound is it, the key word to live sound has always been redundancy. So, and this is like, you know, you can, you know, put this into the concept of somebody who's just performing, right? Redundantly, right? Just keep yeah. practicing, practicing, practicing until you've got to a point you're so comfortable that you get to on stage and you can execute. But, you know, if you're going to do something that is a little more sophisticated, that needs a more complicated setup because of the style of music that you're playing, well, you need to make sure that you have a backup to the backup so that you like can it. continue to perform. The same concept, you know, I, I play with a wireless and it, this is just to simplify everything for, for everyone listening. I, I play with a wireless on, on stage. 
But if something were to happen and that wireless craps out, well, I can reach over my bag and I've got a cable and actually got more than one cable. So like Mm -hmm. you said, backup on top of a backup. Um, Guys, I want to switch gears over to who Elizabeth's favorite vocalist is and why. Okay, cool. I have two that come to mind. Uh, Difficult question, obviously, because there's so much out there um, for different reasons, too. But uh, Mike Patton and Devin Townsend have always been two of my favorites. (laughs) Nice. Those are awesome. What are what, some reasons though behind that? What 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 gets you like you know in hearing those in hearing their voices or performance or whatever? I think like it has to be like the the first two CDs I ever bought when I had my first car. It just hit me right in the right age at the right time. That point of like freedom, you know. Uh, my first two CDs was uh, the Mr. Bungle self titled album, and then uh addicted um by devin townsend um and i i just have it memorized um and also mudvane too that was like a, a cd that i have that memorized too those was like the three cds i had and i played them on a loop in my in my little car back in the day um and there's just something um like you know for different reasons like mike Patton, i just love like his stage per- uh persona so much um and he's just so weird and he inspired me to be like, okay, I'm a musician and I like to try, try different things. I'm not going to confine myself to one sound. I feel like doing this kind of al- album. I feel like doing this kind of album. Like every one of his albums, if you ever have like a month where you just go through his whole discography, you're going to, it's all different types of stuff. And that's what I really like about him because it inspired me to be like, oh, I like so many different types of music. I'm like a hybrid of many things. I can try different things if I want to, you know, I'm not confined to just being a part of like one band and only doing this like genre for the rest of my life or uh, do what people like expect from me, quote unquote, because that's not real. Um, You know, I can try different things. So he really inspired me to do that. And I just always really enjoyed his music so much. And his interviews from the 90s are hilarious. Um, And then Devin Townsend, like his stage performance is just like dad jokes. (laughs) And then he just comes out with these like godly vocals and crazy guitar riffs and all of his music's very just like euphoric and a huge like inspiration to like the stuff I compose today. So yeah, those are two very important people <laughs> musicians in my life. Devin Devin's amazing. He's he's kind of like he is. All, he's in a, in a, up too, like even more, and I love that for him. <laughs> yeah, and I, I I feel like he's kind of it's he's kind of he's on the fine line of uh of signed artist versus independent artist. He's on the fine line there, but. He's really at the pinnacle of what, re- like what it, what what an independent person can really do with their career. Yeah, you he know, came out to- with an empath um, with his own label, and I yep. just I really see that like blowing up like in the best way for him. Like he's kind yeah. of like reaching a point that maybe he's always wanted to reach in his music career. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's just, it's so cool. I love that album too, Empath. It's so good. I recommend it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Mike Patton is, uh, he's also a, a record label owner too, right? Yeah, 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 he is. So mm-hmm. He's got a lot of, uh, you know, kind of a lot of different multifaceted talents around that guy. He's pretty incredible too. Mr. Bungle's an amazing band. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what about you, Jason? What are you into? Yeah, what's yours? 
like the first thing, because this changes from day to day, right? And you're like, I yeah, love this same. today. I love that tomorrow. <laughs> of course, I'm a big Nightwish fan. And, and I, I love Floor Jansen's vocals. But um, one of my favorite vocalists that comes to mind is Tony Kako from Sonata Arctica. Uh, he's just, mm, he's yes. all over the place. I love his vocals. But he also, he has a lot of personality and character behind his voice as well. You know, you've got a lot of phenomenal vocalists out there and not taking anything away from anyone but sometimes they can kind of just sound the same. It's like, okay, you've got a really amazing high voice, high range and all that. But Tony has this unique sound to his vocals. And it's almost like he's telling you a story, but he's, you know, he's got the range and all that good stuff as well. And he's got the accent to their finished band. Uh, but yeah, I love them. And I love Tom England from Evergreen. Uh, he's one of my favorite vocalists as well. His music is just I don't know. It's just one of a kind. It's almost like he created his own genre with Evergreen. Wow. So those, those, are, those are some of my favorites. When did things. you, what, I guess like what age were you at when you really got into them? Cause I feel like that plays like a, a role in it too. It does. And, and you would think that that's when I got into metal, but you remember guys, I'm older. <laughs> I'll be 48 this month, by the way. <laughs> Um, so like I, I grew up with the old Metallica, uh, Satriani, still one of my favorite guitar players. Of course, I love Hetfield's voice and, you know, Slayer, you know, Dave Mustaine, all those guys. But I got into more of the European metal. It was probably around, uh, I want to say the mid 2000s. Uh, one of my close friends introduced me to, I believe it was Sonata Artica and I went to see them live there here in Tampa. This is, yeah, sometime in the mid 2000s. And I really started getting more into bands like Arch Enemy, uh, Monomarth, uh, like I said, Evergrace, Sonata, Nightwish, Delane. I, and when I saw Nightwish, I was really hooked. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> Delane <laughs> opened up for them. And I'm, I'd never heard Delane before. And I'm like, okay. So I started digging into them. And it just opened this new world of, of more the European metal. And oh, okay. So it's more introductory to this new genre. The only yeah. reason why I ask about like the, the age thing is because like I, I, I noticed that the music that you really like binge like from like your early 20s, like I guess like those years when you're first like really like an adult yeah. and you're kind of more free, um, they really stick with you or at least they like inspire the music that you, um, you know, are into as you get older too it's kind of like the foundation of the of the things that you enjoy you know um so that's why i asked that those are like pivotal years to really no you're right i, I still love I all the hair like. bands so I, I'm, I was into the hair bands uh, you know the metallica slayer but also you know warrant and def leopard and all those bands bon jovi <laughs> yeah. i love bon jovi i mean i'll admit it bon so yeah great. they're nostalgic yeah. to you <laughs> yeah there, there are you know and i get why some people might say they're cheesy but i i see a different perspective i I guess and again a lot of it just kind of like it's it's what i was rooted in so it's, it's funny you asked that though and that's that's great because i i do love all that stuff and i still listen to it to this day actually i cover a lot of hair band stuff even though i have no hair uh at my live acoustic shows i'll do an acoustic <laughs> version but but the european metal i find myself kind of writing as i as i write music it's more of a mix between that and then some of that older stuff as well so it's you know we talked about this last week when you were saying how important it is, uh, Ellie, to to really find your own style. And we talk about that, Ken. That's what Metal Mastermind is all about, guys. We we want you, everybody listening to this right now, we want you to develop your own style and sound. Don't chase yeah. someone else's. It's already done. Just find your own and develop your own. So all that said, that kind of comes through the influences that we've had. Yeah, absolutely. Here. How about you, Ken? Uh, good question. I've 
tend to gravitate towards more prog on this side of the spectrum when it comes to vocalists. Uh, I think one of my favorite is Neil Morse, to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> Neil Morse is so good. He's I love Neil Morse. Yeah, very a very musical uh, vocalist. He's got a That's lot like, of... He does a lot of Christian rock, right? He does do a lot of Christian rock, and I'm not necessarily a, a, a hardcore Christian at all. I, I'm, I'm more agnostic than anything else, but it's just, I love the, the tonal tamper and control of his mm-hmm. voice. I think so it's a very... Good. He's very easy to listen to, and you know you can kind of be kind of swallowed up in his uh, in his technique. But um, another person uh, that I like to listen to is also Simone Simmons uh, from uh, Epica. She's a mm, uh, very very operatic, you know, sort of like soaring type of vocals, and she's got like perfect technique because she's like an opera singer and all this kind of stuff. So it's easy to just like be wowed. Um, yeah. And yeah. Uh, I think in terms of, uh, you know, even like heavier type of vocals, I, I'm a big fan of, uh, I don't I don't know his name uh, off the top of my head, but I really love the vocalist from Amorphous. Uh, Ooh, yes, he, dude. he has like this, like really like hard hitting, like growl type of vocals that just like kind of hit you in the gut. Uh, I don't know if it's necessarily guttural, but it's just like, it's very deep and it's very, very forward. Uh, but very controlled. It's kind of similar to uh, the singer from Opeth. Yeah, he's wow. also he's another great vocalist who also has like this dynamic talent of being able to growl and also sing like these beautiful melodic uh, melodies. That's so cool. That's why so cool. I love the workbook in my course that like really makes you talk about the music that like inspires you because it's first of all it's just so fun to talk about. Like, <laughs> I just oh, see your, yeah. your eyes light up when you talk about, like, you know, the style of vocals. Um, you know, it's just, it's like a fun conversation. You can really figure out what you like and what makes up the music that you create from oh, your yeah. inspirations, you know? It's yeah. its own podcast, too. I can go, there's like 10 other musicians in my head now when I think about <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, hey, we and, can we can do this again as well. Like a little um, segment, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So speaking yeah. of uh, your course, uh, real quick. So metal vocal virtuoso guys, that is on metalmastermind.com. Go to the website metalmastermind.com. Uh, click on courses and you'll see all of our courses, but scroll down and, and find metal vocal virtue. So that course is out there. It has helped so many other vocalists not only get better at singing, but really find their own voice. And like we said before, guys, this is what this is all about. It's all about helping you develop your own style and be your absolute best. And Elizabeth, you do a phenomenal job of doing that in that course. Thank you. So. So, so fun. head over there. And Elizabeth, you do coaching on Metal Mastermind as well. So that that's an option too. The coaching goes hand in hand with the course. I think I really want to like see you guys get to know you and figure out where you're at, uh, purchasing the course and, you know, just want to meet you guys and help you out along the way as much as I can. So the coaching is where to do that for sure. Yeah. Coaching is very much kind of this uh, ongoing learning. So if you're like at a point where you've kind of taken the course or if you haven't taken the course, but you're like, I still feel like I need something that's a little more tailored to specifically yeah. what you're trying to do. That like makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, anything. Uh, it definitely uh, makes the whole experience a lot more one-on-one and, and personal, for sure. Yeah. 
So guys, head over to MetalMastermind.com, grab Elizabeth's course, Metal Vocal Virtuoso, and again, she also does one-on-one lessons as well. Um, my my personal take, I, I like the idea of getting the course and going through those basics and then scheduling a call with Elizabeth yeah. and getting on her calendar, because uh, then you've kind of got some of the foundation, so when you meet, you, maybe you're a little, little bit further ahead, right? Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. Uh, really figure out, Oh, I need more improvement with this and making note of it. And then we can kind of chat about it, whatever it is that you think you need. Um, you know, I'm here for you. (laughs) That's perfect. Well, Ellie, thank you so much for being on. It's always a pleasure to have you on. Thank you. We appreciate (laughs) it. And guys, until the next episode, thank you, by the way, for being a part of metal mastermind, all of you listening right now, we appreciate that until the next episode. Remember to always create your own sound.